Kilda, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on the detail, the Opportunities Party or Top has appointed Raf Manji as its new leader, with a goal of getting into Parliament at the next election. Yes, Top is still around, still kicking, still doing its thing. The party, arguably most famous for my request of every cat owner in New Zealand is to make this cat your last. In the case of an unknown cat, they should be destroyed, just like a dog would be. Has appointed a new leader, a former investment banker, who's been lauded for his performance on Christchurch's city council and the aftermath of the mosque shootings. The main policies are taxing housing properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most efficient tax uh, for housing is not a capital gains tax, it's a land value tax, um, a universal basic income, um, and a focus for me very much on climate adaptation. But, of course, there's an issue. No new party has ever made it into Parliament, unless it's splintered off from a different party or has a current MP among its ranks. So, today on the podcast... Newsroom's Sam Suchdaver joins me to chat about the third iteration of TOP, why Aotearoa's MMP Parliament has as few parties now as it's ever had, and whether their prayers might be answered by an ongoing review which could see sweeping changes introduced to the electoral system. I think a lot of people paid attention when Gareth Morgan was still on the scene and actively involved. You know, he was the leader back then. He had his whole uh, killing killing cats or getting rid of cats and lipstick on a pig comment about the Prime Minister. And, you know, for better or for worse, he was quite good at making headlines. But, you know, he, as you say, they did relatively well, didn't quite get across, across the line. And, and since then, it's sort of been, you know, bubbling away under the surface. As you say, they're still there. They've had a few leaders. They've contested, but they just haven't kind of had that, that cut through that they managed the uh, the first go around. Remind me and us about this party's sort of origins. I mean, you've talked about Gareth Morgan there. How did it come into being? Did it come out of... It kind of came a little bit out of left field, right? Yeah, yeah. It was... Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't know if I was at the launch myself, but it was, yeah, a, l- a little bit by surprise. Gareth fronted it, and I think the suggestion was that, you know, none of the main parties were, were meeting this this niche of uh, sort of ideas-based policy, evidence-based policy. I think that's been their catch cry throughout. So that was sort of the, the origin of it, and they had their um, Red Peak style logo, which, which caught a bit of attention as well. So it was all very zeitgeisty, I guess. The left-right spectrum is a flawed instrument, and yet, if we were to talk about this party in sort of broad terms, how would you kind of describe the Opportunities Party? Oh, gosh, it's, re- it's really hard, isn't it? I saw the new leader, Raf Manji, who, you know, we'll get to, he, in a Reddit Ask Me Anything session, he talked about radical centrism, and that's kind of a little bit nebulous, but I think it's probably on point as well. I think it is a little bit of pick and mix from traditional left-wing policies and some on the right. So, you know, I guess a business, business-friendly approach in some respects to, you know, structural economic reform. So, it, it, yeah, it is a little bit of a mix, and it is centrism and radical centrism is not necessarily a bad way to describe it and that kind of goes to some of the issues they've had with with getting cut through really if it's if it's hard for people to sort of place you on the political spectrum in a sense 2017 election top got two and a half percent i think of the vote nowhere in the electorate seat so it wasn't really that close at, at getting into parliament but 
Is that a pretty good turnout, do you reckon, for a party that had been around for, you know, barely a year by the time the election rolled around? Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a pretty good performance. Now, there was obviously a reasonable amount of money that, that went into their, um, their campaign. It helps having a, um, you know, fairly wealthy businessman uh, atop the organisation. But, um, yeah, look, 2.5% two, two is nothing to sneeze at. You know, I think the Conservative Party, when they first ran, they got about 4%. But it, it, you know, it is very difficult for new parties to sort of break through. So it was a it was a credible showing, and in a number of ways. But I guess it just shows how hard it can be to actually you know break through into parliament. Well, let's talk a bit about what's kind of happened in that interim period, the sort of four four and a half years or so since twenty seventeen. Um, maybe first of all, there was a slightly bitter separation from its its founder, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. So there was a. Um, a bit of a falling out between Gareth Morgan and some of the candidates who had run in, in 2017. Gareth Morgan emailed her saying, Hi Jenny, please, ju- please just resign from the party you're a pain in the ass. Kakite Ano Gareth. I think they sort of had concerns about being you know, bullied or, or treated poorly by him. He you know, denied a lot of that and I think he said he's just a robust individual. So yeah, there was, there was a bit of back and forth there, which was probably not helpful in terms of the internal culture. And I think in sort of mid-2018, he'd actually um, sort of, Gareth Morgan, that is, floated the idea of, of deregistering the party, saying, look, you know, we don't, we don't have the time or the ability to do this. But it kind of got saved from the, um, the scrap heap from some of the party supporters who were like, no, we are, we are keen for this. It does fill a void and we'd, we'd like to keep it on. So that was sort of its first uh, revival in a sense. Economist Jeff Simmons took over leadership of the party through to the 2020 election, and Top did okay, really. 1.5% of the vote, that's the most of any party not to get into Parliament, except New Zealand First. Not a horrific drop in some respects, but you know, going backwards rather than forwards. It hangs around. Uh, you have Shai Navot, who was, I think, a candidate for them previously, who steps in as the interim leader for a year or so. And then what we've seen this year is they wanted someone to replace her and take on the sort of a more permanent leadership role. And that's how we get to Ralph Mundy's um, unveiling um, a top, top. Politics is getting stale. People are a little bit disillusioned with Labour and National. Um, the Greens and Act kind of sit to the left and right of those main parties. So people are going, there's just not enough choice. Tell me a bit about Ruff Manji. Who is this guy? Yeah. No, look, he's a, he's a, a really interesting guy to talk to, full of full of big, big ideas, as Jeff Simmons was. So that kind of makes him, you know, a good fit for the, the top brand. Uh, he ran and he was on the Christchurch City Council for for two terms from 2013 to, to 2019. So he's kind of got the chops in terms of, you know, actually having succeeded in politics. He had to obviously win a council award to get in. Um, but he did also have a tilt in uh, Jerry Brownlee's Isle of Electorate in 2017. In a David versus Goliath battle, a Christchurch City Councillor is taking on Nationals Jerry Brownlee in one of the country's bluest electorates. Mr Brownlee has held the seat of Isleham in Christchurch since it was formed 21 years ago and was nearly 12,000 votes ahead of his nearest rival in the last election. So it's safe 
on paper, but high-profile councillor Raf Manji, who once worked alongside John Key as a merchant banker in the UK, is undeterred. Saying- as an independent, which was interesting, because you don't see a lot of uh, strong independent runs, I would say, in New Zealand politics for the most part. But um, it was very focused around the rebuild, getting the rebuild of Christchurch back on track after the earthquakes. You know, there's this idea of bringing the Commonwealth Games there now he didn't win. It's uh, always going to be very hard to to knock someone out with a uh, twelve who had a twelve thousand vote margin of victory at the um, the previous election. But he, he did cut that back a bit, and I think he made a um, a bit of a splash in terms of you know getting media attention, getting public attention, and and yeah, I guess showing that sort of big big vision uh, as far as you know political ideas go. What's his background in Rough Manji? So he was a, involved in, in finance in London, moved away from investment banking into sort of more environmental issues, human rights issues, and yeah, came here in the early 2000s, I think. So uh, yeah, you know, that, that background in London, a sort of an investment banker background, which I saw, um, again, someone on that Reddit thread likened him to John Key, which was like, well, yes, we have that background, but I've... Uh, moved in a, a quite different from different direction from where Sir, Sir John did. I, I guess a foot in both worlds, right? You know, that sort of right-wing capital side of things. I mean, yeah, left-wing, more environmental, human rights issues. Do you get the sense that, like, I was going to ask you whether you'd describe him as an impressive candidate. I think a more interesting question, though, is, is the Opportunities Party the kind of party where you think a change in leadership makes a meaningful difference? That's a very good question. I wish I knew the answer, and I would be, uh, you know, offering the top party my uh, advice for <laughs> you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> uh, I, I think it can. I think the problem that they've had in the past is that they've had very, you know, very intelligent people full of big ideas, but who don't necessarily understand retail politics and how to actually sell that message. You know, Gareth Morgan was not really a man of the people <laughs> for the most part. And Jeff Simmons, very, very smart, but, you know, I think a, a background in the co- yeah, economics. So, you know, maybe having someone like Ralph who has, has you know, won political elections, knows a little bit about what people want, that that could help. But, uh, you know, is, is it going to tip them over the edge? It's it's really hard to get to that 5% margin. He has talked about running in an electorate, potentially again in Ireland for top, which would be quite interesting. And that tends to be the easiest way for a, you know, aspiring minor party to, to, to grab a seat in parliament mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, coat, coattail in by an electorate seat. So, uh, you know, having that profile in, in Ireland and the ability to run there, that, that could be perhaps more helpful than, uh, you know, his, his broader skills. But, of course, there's an issue here. In the MMP era, no minor party has ever been elected to Parliament unless it's splintered off from a pre-existing party or had a former or current MP in its ranks. I asked Sam... Why? It's just really hard to get cut through as an outsider so you can go into Parliament. A lot of the structures that are in place tend to be against newbies who, who want to sort of uh, worm their way in. So, you know, we have the broadcasting allocation, that's government money that goes to political parties to put ads on radio and TV for an election. That is 
is there's a bunch of criteria they take into account and a lot of that is how you performed at previous elections so mm. it kind of entrenches the parties who have done well who are the bigger parties who already have seats which which makes sense in in some respects because you sort of don't want to be treating everyone exactly the same if there are you know some some nuttier uh, parties being formed mm. but it does does skew the, the the pitch a little bit against new entrants uh you know we've had controversy over TV debates in the past and which minor parties are allowed to attend. TV3 decided they dropped off the bottom two polling parties, which were Germanitan's Progressive Party and my United Future Party. I tried to chop out uh, Peter Dunn and Germanitan basically because these debates got so unwieldy with so many participants, and in fact, you're only giving leaders like four or five minutes um, out of the hour. They took me to court. We weren't optimistic about our chances, and they won. And again, the, the approach that you know uh, television networks have tended to take is, yeah, you know, if you hold seats, uh, then we'll you know we'll have you in, and if you don't, well, then the the bar is a bit higher. So it's just it's getting that that sort of profile that you need when you know a lot of the structures rules that are set up in place tend to reward those people who are already in parliament who have already succeeded rather than who are looking to succeed i've talked to a couple of people about top and one thing that i have heard in various iterations is the idea that like lots of these people feel they don't really have like a natural home as a voter none of the parties really speak to them and maybe they do find the idea behind not necessarily just top but minor parties and the philosophies of minor parties quite appealing but there is also this feeling of if i vote for these guys it's probably going to be a wasted vote it's almost certainly going to be a wasted vote so i won't do it reminded me a little bit of the whole idea of you know a job ad for an entry-level position that requires four years experience you know (laughs) it's a self-fulfilling prophecy right you know you have all these voters who are like oh yeah you know i like what they stand for oh but we're not going to get in so you don't vote for them and then and, or you don't say you're going to support them, and then you've got other potential people who get interested and go, oh, well, they don't have any any support, so why am I going to do it? And actually, Ralph himself, when I talked to him, put himself in this category. He said, you know, at the last election, I was, you know, among this group of people who probably could or should have voted for top, but I just didn't think they had a chance. He so didn't I, vote, he didn't he vote for top. His, he voted for the Greens. <laughs> so... Uh, that's the first first big scandal. Top's new leader did not actually support it at the last election. I admire it, and, and maybe this is the point that it's not politics as usual, because you probably wouldn't have any other party leader ever saying that, mm. but it, it, it shows an awareness of the, the problem they have, that they've got these people who could very well fit with Top, but they need to figure out a way to prove to them or convince them, look, we are viable, we can get across the threshold, you're not throwing your vote away. It's better to go with us than to go with your second best option. There are five parties in Parliament now. That's the same as, as there were in 2017. But in 2014, we had seven. In 2011, we had eight. All of which is to say, you know, this is sort of, in a sense, the least ideologically diverse Parliament since... MMP came in, or is that an oversimplification, do you think? Maybe the the bigger parties have become broader and more diverse churches themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right on that last point. I mean, the, the purpose of the MMP when it was created was, was twofold, was one to, you know, allow a more diverse range of parties to come in, 
but also to have more diversity within those parties. And I think you're seeing that in terms of the growing number of Māori MPs, uh, you know, within different parties, uh, women, other ethnic minorities, religious affiliations, uh, and that's useful. But, but you're right, it's kind of interesting that you had this initial sort of flurry of, of voters looking looking around for other options and finding those that they like, but there's actually been a, sort of a, a, a winnowing down, I think, in, in recent elections that you maybe get rid of some of those who are, you know, some of those those elections when we you mentioned we had eight or seven parties, some of those were sort of one one man bands, you know, Jim Anderton's progressives, which was just him basically for a, a long time, United Future, which was was Peter Dunn. So the sort of you know parties that aren't really parties in a sense. It feels to me sometimes like there is this assumption that having more minor parties in Parliament is just a good thing. It's just a great thing. It means that more perspectives are introduced and you have more diversity of thinking. Yet when you look overseas, it isn't necessarily always thus. A lot of the time, particularly in Europe, the minor parties that rise up and gain sway have tended to be really quite sort of authoritarian and oftentimes quite xenophobic parties, you know? Is there a danger of over-idealising, I suppose, is my question. Yeah, no, there is. And that, that is why that 5% figure is in place, um, because there's a trade-off between diversity of, of, of representation and, you know, stability within a parliament and stability within a country. And you do see that, if, you know, a proliferation of a smaller parties, some with questionable views, then that can make life difficult. And it, it's, you know, you get the issue of a tail wagging the dog, which people complain about in New Zealand politics. Mm. But, you know, more so in a case where you've got a government, you know, like in, in Israel, I'm not familiar with the exact breakdown of, of parties, but, you know, obviously they've had difficulties in forming coalitions because they have a lower threshold. Benjamin Netanyahu appears to be on the way out as Prime Minister of Israel after eight opposition parties came together to form a new coalition. It includes the right-wing Naftali Bennett, who would replace Mr Netanyahu, before handing over the top job to the centrist Yair Lapid. I don't have hugely uh, optimistic hopes on that. It, it does look very unwieldy indeed, notwithstanding the highly different ideological stances, but also the range of parties and how small they are. Yeah, there are benefits to making that bar high for um, for new parties to, to come in. I mean, you know, if you look at what we're dealing with at the moment with the... Um, protesters outside parliament, the freedom convoy or whatever, you know, do they have 5% of the country who would vote for them? I don't think so. Do they have 1%? Possibly not, but there's probably more of a probability. And do we want those those people represented with an MP in, in parliament? You could have different views on that and say, you know, they are, if they can get enough people to vote for them at whatever the threshold is, then sure. But mm. you, you can see, I guess, why people might have reservations, uh, government officials, politicians, about putting that threshold too low. 5% is a lot of people. Do you think there is appetite, either among the public or among politicians themselves, to to revisit that threshold? Yeah, well, it is, it is actually being looked at. The government has announced this sort of independent review of our electoral laws, and they've said specifically the threshold is going to be part of that. The government has launched a sweeping review of Aotearoa New Zealand's electoral law. It spans transparency of political donations, a four-year term in office, overseas voting, a younger voting age and a 4% party vote threshold to enter parliament. 
It also evaluates the so-called coattailing rule, which allows parties to bring in additional MPs without having to cross the party vote threshold, currently 5%, provided they win an electorate. Professor. So the royal, the original Royal Commission on NMP, which reported back, I think, in 1986, had actually recommended a um, a 4% figure. I've seen some others. I think the Green Party, possibly someone else, has talked about 3%. So there are, you know, a number of options that get thrown around. Whether the public's behind it or, or not, I, I don't know. The, you know, Winston Peters was with who would theoretically have benefited from a lower threshold with New Zealand First has sort of been a staunch opponent and says, you know, look, you've got to meet this tough mark. And I, I could see there being a reasonable proportion of the public that has some sympathy with that. But, yeah, I, I mean, I'd say there's certainly a chance that come, uh, you know, this panel reporting back, it's still a few years away, that they might say, yeah, look, maybe we do need to, um, you know, make it a little bit easier for, for new new parties to get in. Electoral reform is actually pretty hard to get across the line in New Zealand, eh? Like, what what would need to happen for the threshold to be lowered? So there is a, uh, you know, a convention that you need to have a sort of a, a broad consensus of, of political parties behind you. So it can't just be the government of the day ramming something through if everyone else is, is opposed. There's also been a bit of debate about whether or not changes like this should go to a referendum. Mm. I'm not sure whether if the government has tipped their hand one way or the other on that, but there might be an expectation that, you know, look, this should actually go to voters themselves because there is a degree of, of self-interest, I guess, and the MPs deciding how long they get to serve for or how hard it is for them to get into Parliament. So, yeah, I think there's a there's sort of pu- public pressure and um, some constitutional conventions that would would say, look, you can't, you can't just shove this through without regard for, you know, how, how we feel. And just finally on this, uh, Sam, I know that it's a long way off, but looking looking at next year, there is going to be an election next year in 2023. Do you, in your heart of hearts, think top or, or, or anybody really currently outside Parliament has a realistic shot at getting in? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 a tall ask. I you know I think Ruff uh, Manji will do well for top, and I think he will sort of help reinvigorate them. But I, I imagine they will end up falling short, uh, bar a miracle, in, in an electorate seat. Uh, in terms of other parties, probably not anyone new. You know, you always talk about New Zealand first and Winston Peters, can they get back in? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm less sure about it than some others who seem to think, you know, he's got no chance. He, I think he clearly wants to run. But again, that's someone who has already run a party, who's already got that public profile. So I would suspect we're not going to see anyone who is a truly fresh face. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Sam Suchdeva. Matewa.